Hello, as usual, I'm Jamie from Stonemeyer Games, and today I'm joined by special guest Ray, who came up with a great idea for a video that I really like. Ray, why don't you introduce yourself and introduce this concept of what we're discussing today? Hey, Jamie. Uh, my name is Ray Imgrund. I am a lifelong fan of board games and, and hobby gaming, and recently I was trying to think about how how I'd get people into the hobby if they'd expressed an interest of, okay, so what's, what's, what are all these games you play? What, how, how can there be this much interest in, in a, in a simple pastime? And that, that kind of started with figuring out how to introduce my wife to stuff. Cause she didn't really grow up playing any sorts of games beyond kind of the basic monopoly and stuff, which she generally hated. <laughs> um, so so I so I thought, okay, what's what's a good way to to kind of order these things to ease people into the experience of modern hobby gaming? And I asked Jamie what he thought about it. Yeah, and I really like this concept because typically for these videos, they're kind of flat in that I have like a top ten favorite worker placement games, and they're all worker placement games that I love. In this video, we're kind of talking about a, a progression of games. So if you're starting out, trying to get someone into the hobby or someone expresses interest in getting into the, the modern gaming hobby, how to start them out and how you can layer on new games to make them feel more comfortable with modern games, building up to our number ones, which at least for me is a medium weight game. So we're kind of building them towards a medium weight game, introducing different concepts and mechanisms along the way. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, a great approach to, to introducing games to someone. I, I, I love this, this concept and I'm excited to hear which games you picked for it, right? Um, Great. Yeah. Should we jump in? Why don't you tell me your, your, so it's, it's number five, but it's really the first game, the game that you would mm -hmm. start with. Yeah. Yeah. So the first, the first one that I had in mind. So unfortunately I actually don't own most of the ones that are on that most of the primary ones on my list, because like I've played them with other people. And then I think, great, these are awesome, and now I want to own other ones. So, uh, so the first one that I that I just got introduced to recently was Sushi Go, and I've been hearing about it for a long time. And and after playing it just several times, I introduced it to my to my in laws, who are also really not into 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 games beyond like cribbage and stuff. They really enjoyed it and asked to play it a second time in a row, which is like the sign that it's something that actually works. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 great because it's so it's so simple, it's friendly, it's got the basics of uh, card drafting, which is so important to so many to so many uh, later even more deep games. Uh, basic levels of hand management, and yeah, it's just a lovely introduction to the whole concept. And one thing I like about it too is that uh, well, it's adorable. That's part of it, but it's. <laughs> yeah. On my list, I generally stay away from games with um, with closed information. But in a drafting mm. game, even though it's temporarily closed information, you're passing those hands around the table. And so they rapidly become essentially open information. And you could even play the first game completely open if someone isn't comfortable um, with mm -hmm. closed information. I say that because it's easier to guide someone through their turn as they're getting comfortable with the game if there's open information. Yeah, that's a good point. That isn't yeah. something I specifically thought of. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how my, how my list compare, compares to yours in that regard. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, a couple of yours have some close information, but again, in ways that could be mm -hmm. open for that teaching game, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, so then um, should I list my honor, my kind of honorable mentions now? Yeah, so other games you might consider for that first step, yeah. Right, yeah. So the two other ones I had was... Um, 
a game called Quicks. It's actually from the same company, Game Right, that made Sushi Go. Uh, yeah. It's a very, very easy to pick up roll and write and, and a nice way to get introduced to that uh, category of, of games. And you can play it with a pretty good number of people. It takes like 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, for anybody who's not familiar with it, it's just uh, rolling, rolling sets of dice, uh, some of which are colored, and you're trying to fill in numbers from 2 to 12, either uh, ascending or descending, and you're trying to get as many filled in, and that scales toward the number of points you get at the end of the game. Yeah. Any other honorable mentions for this first step? Uh, the other one was uh, Draftosaurus, which is uh, yeah. a dinosaur drafting game. That also yeah, is a nice a nice short game, also open information, which is really fun. Um, yeah. yeah, that's a delightful little game. And that's another set collection one, similar to Sushi Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Set collection. Each player has has a little player board where you have a park that you're filling with dinosaurs of different colors and and sizes. That one's really nice. Yeah. I love those picks. I took a slightly different approach with my number five, but I think that'll work mm -hmm. well for this list. Um, I went with cooperative games. I for, mm, for my first okay. stepping because I thought cooperative games are really nice. They're low pressure for someone to play mm -hmm. a modern game, but not feel like they are behind any other player because we're all on the same page in cooperative games. So mm -hmm. I picked, um, this is a tough pick because I picked three cooperative games that I really love and can get up to the table with any any person at any time. The number one one that I picked was Mysterium Park, which mm -hmm. is kind of a shorter version of Mysterium where one player plays a ghost essentially that is communicating to the other players by giving them um, cards that represent dreams or visions or things like that cards with this weird mm -hmm. art so they're trying to convey certain information like where a murder didn't happen um and where and who didn't commit the murder things like that they're trying to narrow down a list of suspects and locations uh, but it's a really neat it's a really neat cooperative game that doesn't require any preparation in advance there's no reading in it so anyone uh, of any uh reading skill level could jump in a, a, a younger kid who can't read yet could jump in um and, uh, and it doesn't take too long to play. So I, I think Mysterium Park is a really neat cooperative game. The other two that I thought of that were very close to this were Just One, which I think is the, mm -hmm. a delightful social cooperative game, and The Mind, which is a numerical game where you're kind of just playing these numbers in order. Very simple cooperative games just to kind of show mm -hmm. someone that uh, maybe their perception of games as overly competitive. And there are some overly competitive games on this list, but that that not all games are that way. And that they're easy yeah. to teach because everyone's working together. Yeah, just one is one is one that I meant to have in my honorable mentions that I I got at at uh, your recommendation, and everybody mm -hmm. I played it with has totally loved it. So that was a that yeah. was a top top notch pick. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, great. I am actually curious. Before you go into your number four, is there there are no cooperative games on your list? Is there a cooperative mm -hmm. game that you might use uh, if for this category to introduce someone to modern gaming? Yeah, I one of my honorable mentions. I do have Mysterium okay. later on. Um, yeah. I've never I've never played Mysterium Park though. The, yeah, I've heard it's an even more approachable way to an already yeah. fairly approachable game. I think Mysterium just ha base game just has a lot of overhead. Yeah. The, like the very first time that you're learning it, even if you're not playing the playing the ghost, that yeah. um, that I put it a little. I decided to have an honorable mention and a little higher on my list. Um, yeah, totally good. I also haven't played as many cooperative games, um, just just because of the the group that I the groups that I tend to be involved with. So yeah, 
and I kind of move on from them after this number one, but yeah. I kind of want to show people, hey, there's this whole category of games that if you really love this, we can go mm-hmm. deeper into this or we can go down this other route. Yeah. Great. What is your number four and any other games at the number four step for you? Or yeah. Number two step. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so the next place that I go after after the the delightful little introduction of Sushi Go would be mm-hmm. say, okay, we'll go on to like an actual board game now and go with good old Ticket to Ride. I don't I don't think it's possible to go wrong with this. I specifically said Ticket to Ride Europe because they have these the stations that can make things a little easier on you if you miss out on the on a particular route that you're going for, then then you can place a station and just not get quite as many points at the end of the game and use somebody else's route. So so then it, it's a little it's a little more friendly and then yeah, it's just got the basic other ticket to ride ticket to ride good stuff with place in trains and you're only doing one thing a turn which makes it really really easy to approach you're only ever drawing drawing or playing and two different kinds of cards to draw never at the same time and yeah and it's like a super low level introduction to hand and resource management and i think it's really nice for that um the other ones that I kind of had with there is like saying, okay, any version of Ticket to Ride is going to be great for this. Mm-hmm. I have heard, though I have not played because it's not publicly available, the new Ticket to Ride Legacy actually kind of does interesting things where it starts out super duper basic and then gradually ramps up. So that could even be like, I was thinking that could even be like something that that you say, okay, we're going to play a couple, couple games of Ticket to Ride and then play this. And maybe play those concurrently with with the other games on this list and get more in-depth that way. Okay. And then, yeah, so there's that one. And then the other one that I that I had, I haven't played it a lot, so it would it might have made my list if I was more familiar with it, would be Seven Wonders Architects, mm-hmm. which is a really um stripped down and approachable way to play seven wonders where there's there's still the drafting elements but instead the main focus is just on building your building your wonder from from the ground up and the game ends when somebody finishes that and then drafting options are really limited where it's either one deck in the middle it's available to everybody or a deck on either side of you that you share with the players to your left and right right two things i really like about these picks um and one other pick that you'll mention in a minute is that for Ticket to Ride, it is a, you know, it's a, among modern hobby gamers, it's a very well-known game. So if someone mm-hmm. knows how to play Ticket to Ride, they can probably go to any game night, any convention, any small event, and they then have a game that they know because someone probably mm-hmm. has that game on their shelf. I think it's great to have a few games like that as we're introducing people, these very widespread games, because then they can speak mm-hmm. this common language of games. The other thing I really like is that in, um, the games you mentioned so far, the games that I mentioned and that I will mention, a lot of them are very low stakes at the very beginning of the game. So like the first few decisions you make in the game, they're important, but they don't ruin your game if you mm-hmm. make a, an uninformed decision. Um, and so I, I think that's really helpful for all these games. And I think Ticket to Ride is a great instance of that. And you mentioned Ticket to Ride Legacy, how it kind of ramps up. That concept of starting with low stakes and building up the higher stakes, I think is great for any of these games if you're introducing mm-hmm. a new game or in a, com- in a competitive game. Yeah, so what you got? Yeah, I have at number four, I went with um, some games with a dose of luck and mm. mostly push your luck in these games because I think a lot of people, at least Americans, know Monopoly 
as a game of rolling dice, but not really making dis- many decisions based on, mm. on those dice. And so I wanted some games where you have either dice or some element of randomness where you have a lot of agency and control over the decisions you're making. The game that I picked is, and I have a lot in this category, but the game I picked is Ink and Gold. Mm. So Ink, is, Ink and Gold is a game where players are walking into a dungeon, which is represented by a row of cards. And every turn you are flipping a card. And right before you flip that card, um, players decide if they want to continue going into the dungeon or if they want to run out of the dungeon with all the loot that they've gathered so far. Mm-hmm. Um, completely open information game. It's very easy for one player to guide the experience through, the, through this game. And you play through five rounds. So if you make a dumb decision in rounds one or two or you get unlucky in round one or two, you still have a chance to, to compete in the game. And it's one of these games that's just kind of a, a good time with a lot of people. People are kind of cheering. People are rooting for each other or rooting against each other. It's that kind of push your luck in the game. Uh, so Inky Gold was my number one pick. I also put Can't Stop Spots. Spots are probably the newest one on this list. Mm-hmm. No Thanks and Deep Sea Adventure, all of which involve, or almost all of which involve mm-hmm. dice rolling. No Thanks doesn't, but most of them do. And they all involve like a slight element of chance uh, that I think people will be familiar with if they played Monopoly, or maybe even if they're also poker players and they like that element mm. of chance of what cards are going to come up in the next moment. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. The only one of those that I have played is Ink and Gold, and yeah, I mm-hmm. I really I really enjoyed my experience with that, and yeah, it's it's so approachable. It's just all right. Yeah. The 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 mechanic is just is just pushing your luck. It's not right. anything inherently complex in the game itself, and everybody can get that. Even 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 little kids don't oh, usually yeah. have a have a problem with that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah those those other ones all, all sound interesting, but I just haven't played it. Yeah, they're great games. They're all approachable games. I think that's a good mm-hmm. word for for this this stage, this step. Let's get to the middle step. What is your your kind of your middle stepping stone here into modern hobby games? the the granddaddy of them all i th- i think i think this is a perfect time to 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 bring in Catan. Mm-hmm. and i think everybody at this point unless you've you're living under a seriously large rock has at least <laughs> heard of Catan using using the vari- variable board and and mm-hmm. resource production based on dice so this is probably the main game that i have where there's a significant element of luck in it and yeah the yeah it's it's got hand and resource management it and it's got strategy building and even what i'd call like an early form of engine building based mm-hmm. on the kind of on how you lay out your settlements and your roads and where you decide to put your first cities or if you're going to really go for developments and and what you're planning on building in the future so and then there's also the fun that the board changes a little bit every game like it's not going to be night and day but but it keeps that sense of that sense of fun variability there so that it's so that the games take a very very long time to get stale and then at that point you can buy expansions and they get excited again <laughs> right there's also so, a lot of trading that happens in the game too there's a, there's a right. lot of talking between players in a game of of Catan. yeah 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 which helps it be turned into a can be a grand social event if you got people yeah. really into that um yeah <laughs> one of one of my favorite memories was one of playing a, a number of years ago with some of my friends and one of them really didn't want to really didn't want to make a trade and the other one really did and then and then finally said okay I'll give you the thing you want and then give me this and it was like 
asking for a sheep and then he actually was just giving a sheep so no real exchange occurred <laughs> so that that's a nice. one of my favorite trading memories associated with Catan, an actual non-trade <laughs> uh, i like it so um so i had one uh one honorable mention that i haven't heard a lot of people talk about for this uh this game is uh so and it's one i do own it's called ceylon <laughs> so it is a uh, it's it's a yeah it's yeah it's based on it's based on history so yeah. the island of ceylon now sri lanka used to be really well known for its coffee production and then there was a blight in like the 1500s and then some some forward-thinking entrepreneurs said, "Hey, this is a great place to grow tea. Let's mm -hmm. let's do that." So now, they may they grow some of the best tea in the world there, and so it's based so it's based on that period of of history. So it's a particular historical setting, in on this really pretty pretty board and and pretty components, and basic the the main theme, the main mechanic of the game is you harvest tea and then you fulfill contracts and then the, the more players that you've completed contracts with uh the not players sorry you don't uh you sell to outsiders everybody everybody playing the game is just growers effectively um you get you do contracts with outside companies then more the larger number of companies you work with the more points you get and the the action mechanic system i think is is something i really like because it has an effect of everybody takes a turn on everybody's turn mm -hmm. um where everybody has a hand of cards and you play i'll pull out one of the cards so that you can see uh every you every card has two actions on it so let's see if you can see this well so yeah. there's the top and there's the bottom so the so the the player is the active player plays the card a certain way face up and then say take this action which i believe is harvest Mm -hmm. Then all other players in order can either take the lower action, which I think is hire somebody, or one of the two mini actions in the middle, which is either move your main worker or collect some money. So everybody gets to go on everybody's turn and you can play it kind of cutthroat where I might think where, where I think, okay, I know that then my opponents can make use of this action. So I'll make sure they don't have access to it or when you're first introducing people, then you can just say, "Oh, I'll I'll just not care about that aspect. I'll just do whatever's beneficial to me." And then, and then if anybody else benefits, then then they benefit, and it's fine. Yeah. So I really like that one. It's it's more relaxed than Catan, and and I and especially if 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 somebody needs a little more guidance, mm -hmm. then it can be like, okay, here's so I just played this card, so you could do this now, and then on your turn, if you have a card that lets you sell your tea then then you'll then if you're able to harvest now you can sell later and you'll be good to go so cool so yeah, it's a little bit longer out. but but yeah yeah it's a little bit a little bit longer of a tangent there but but yeah I, i've i've heard almost nobody talk about it so but it's a really good game interesting yeah i'll have to check that out yeah so that was that was yeah. my only other that was my my only other one to kind of tier with Catan because they're both resource production hand management and one's a little more, a little less luck based, a little more strategy. One's a little more cutthroat. One's a little less so. So cool. And number three, so I delved into this idea of common language of games. So teaching people this mm. a, a certain element of games that they can apply to a lot of different games, and that is polyominoes. 
I think people, most people are familiar, mm -hmm. familiar with Tetris and Tetris has made its way into a number of modern games. And so I picked a few games in this category that I thought someone, so I, this is the idea that someone already is familiar with Tetris, familiar with this concept, but probably needs to know a little bit more to see how it fits into modern games. And so I went with mm -hmm. Patchwork. And mm -hmm. the other reason I chose Patchwork is that it's just one other player. So a lot of the games on this list that I picked, except for actually my next one, are typically played with more than two players. But sometimes it's nice and more low pressure just to have just to play a game with one other person. It also mm -hmm. shows them that in the gaming world, there are a lot of games designed specifically for two players and not necessarily for larger groups. It shows them that mm -hmm. there's a whole category of games like that. So I think Patchwork, you know, it's very easy to play. You're, pl you're putting together a quilt. It's a pl very pleasant theme using these polyomino tokens. What you're doing on your turn is very simple as well um, in terms of uh, just, you know, you're, you're gaining a tile, you're placing it on your quilt. And so I thought it was a good introduction to polyomino games. The other two that were very close to it for me were Blockus. I love Blockus and Cartographers. Play a little bit on the mm -hmm. heavier end for a polyomino, a polyomino game, but both mm -hmm. um, very easy to teach and, and play. And it gets someone into this concept of kind of spatial polyominoes in, uh, in modern hobby games. Yeah, that's a that's I I like I I wasn't even necessarily thinking of okay let's thinking about like categories of oh here's a here's a here's a category let's bring that in here's a category let's bring that in I wasn't necessarily thinking that but that's a really a really nice way to approach things because yeah I wasn't really familiar with like the category of polyominoes I had played Blockus a long time ago and then yeah. suddenly in this last year I've picked up patchwork and uh cartographers and suddenly suddenly i'm now a fan of these types of games <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that i i like the way that that you're that you're approaching this with with also like categories in mind yeah just trying to yeah this idea of introducing mm -hmm. people, people to the language of games so that when they they hear a concept um like i don't have a worker placement category in here but that would be probably mm -hmm. pretty helpful for them to learn what a worker placement game is and mm -hmm. Um, be able to jump into that. I do have one. My next category is very specific and very widespread. But what is your mm. number two? What, what approach did you take for that? So, uh, so my number two is I got maybe I spoke too soon. It's the only place where I was thinking, oh, here's like a kind of a category. Uh, yeah. Tiling, where, where yeah. I said, okay, uh, good old good old tiling. So I figured Castle of Mad King Ludwig is a is a really nice way to go for this, where it, it had. Every player is building your own castle, so you're not you're only competing with other players over the particular pieces themselves. You're not you don't have to worry about anybody coming in and ruining the castle that you have built. That can't be that can't be can never be taken away from you. So that's really nice. And then it's a really it's a really pleasant game to game to look at and to play. So that so that can be really helpful. And and yeah, it gets you into tiling and as well as teaching you how to adapt your strategy as the game goes on based on the different goals that you get and the goals that are public because they're I really like the public and private goals because then there's stuff that everybody's fighting over and then there's one thing that only you know you're fighting over which which can introduce some really fun strategic elements to it yeah. and and also generally you're only you're only doing one to two things per turn so it's never too it's never too outlandish and it also has a self-regulating economy, which is really, which is a really fun thing to have. So then the other one was the other, the one of the uh, other classics of tiling, Carcassonne. So then, mm -hmm. in so then instead of everybody having their own thing, everybody builds a builds a a map together, which can be which can be a really exciting 
a really exciting multiplayer experience to be like to at the end of the game look and say wow we've got this whole county in france laid out on our table this is Uh and 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 we built it ourselves so so yeah the the way that works with 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 how you can build castles and and farms and then you can kind of compete with each other over them try to jump in on somebody else's claim makes for a more cutthroat game which can be really nice if that's if that's what your what your table is in for um it and also it depends on if people want a more kind of individualistic experience or or if um or if they're okay with with like a broader slightly more abstract experience so those two games really are kind of a toss-up for me either either one could be good just depending on what people like what I really like for for castles too, and this works for patchwork, the, showing people that uh, in, there are many games where you have control over something that no one can disrupt. I think that mm. can be very reassuring and pleasant to people if they're getting mm. into games. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So what you got for for your second place? So at number two, or my my getting up to the the last step here, um, the the language I wanted to teach people here is deck building because I think deck building mm. is a concept we see in a lot of games. Um, it can open you up to just so many games if you know how the core system of deck building works in many games. And I decided to go with a recent favorite, partially because of the theme, the Star Wars deck building game. Hmm. Again, it's a two-player only game. Uh, well, you can't you can play with more players. It's primarily designed for two players, but it uses a lot of classic deck building concepts while also adding this idea that um, the player interactions aren't, you're not directly hurting your opponent except for their base. Mm-hmm. Rather, the cards... Once you get cards into your deck, your opponent can't take away those cards. And so it gives you this control mm-hmm. that you're talking about with castles, where you have this thing that you have control over that the opponent can't hurt. But when the mm-hmm. cards are in the middle row, that's when you can interact with it. But the combination of the Star Wars IP, which you know everyone in the world is familiar with, combined yeah. with this idea of being able to teach the language of deck building to someone, I thought this would be a good introduction. My number two game was uh, the Quacks of Quinlanburg, which I didn't pick oh, for this. Yeah. I think it's a good pick because it's a very easy game to guide people through. It has mm-hmm. that element of chance. There, There isn't a lot of text in the game, but it is more of an offshoot of deck building. I feel like if mm-hmm. you want someone to understand the language of deck building, you start with the, you know, the, the five-card format. Draw five cards, do something with those cards, discard the rest, and do it again. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I I struggled to, f- to think of a way to put deck building on on my list because i don't think i've played a good like 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 star wars maybe is i don't think i've played a good entry level deck builder because i've wanna i think dune imperium is my favorite game but it's 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 a it's a little beyond the scope of this list um and and uh, and i i've never played clank though i'd like to and Mm -hmm. um the only other deck builders I played are Dominion, which I think is maybe a little outdated at this point for for an inch for an entry level game, and a really yeah. and a really bad Lord of the Rings knockoff <laughs> uh, deck builder that that lets you destroy other people's cards and it it's terrible. So yeah, nobody <laughs> ever get that. <laughs> yeah. I did think about Dominion because that was I feel like maybe five or ten years ago that was a game that everyone was playing or it seemed like everyone mm-hmm. was playing it. And so that that would have been pretty important then. I feel like a lot fewer people people fewer people are playing it now. They're playing other deck building games. So yeah, I want Star Wars. What about your number one? What have you built up to? What after all this that people have learned uh, through the first four steps? What what's what does what does it culminate in for you? So so for me, it culminates in 
Yeah, it's not, I wouldn't quite call it a midweight game, but it's, but it's a game that incorporates hand management, resource management, drafting, and a little bit of, a little bit of the engine building theme of, of building, building up your, and tableau building of building up the right set of, set of cards and everything is Seven Wonders. And this is a delightful game of, a delightful game of all the of all these di- all these different themes that in the end once you have it set up it's like it's like a half hour game and yeah. and if and if when you're teaching people it's not that big a deal for me to lean over and say oh okay so here's your hand what you should be thinking in the first stage is you want to be picking up more resources so that in the second age you can be thinking about okay how am i going to build on this am i going to start working on my wonder which is also one of my favorite things where it introduces asymmetry into into the into the equation where the wonder isn't essential to the way you play but it can really guide your strategy and yeah i think and then once once you do have it set up and you've played around once you finish, you can say, hey, everybody want to play again? And you can play two more games within the space of like an hour. And and I, I just I love I love that ability to just to just cycle through it, cycle through a game if, if everybody wants to. And then it can change so much that your strategy will never, ever be able to be the same because it can be affected so deeply by the actions of the other players. So so that's my like so that's yeah, so that's my yeah. number one. I think uh, I think you're totally. I like the the length consideration that you can play multiple times in the same sitting. I think that repetition really helps someone understand a game when you're able to do that. And even in Seven Wonders, I, I don't think I've ever done this, but you could play the first round, play the first era, and then people get it at that point. And then be like, okay, let's just now that you get it, let's do this for real and replay that era, and it would be just as engaging yeah. to do it again. Yeah, hmm. it's a great. Pick. Yeah, yeah, that's something I hadn't thought of. hadn't thought of before, but yeah, that could be a really good way to introduce it in the future. Yeah. Do you so, have any other games at this 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 level that you that you thought of? Yeah, the other one that I had at this level was my my sole cooperative experience. This is where I put Mysterium, oh, okay. uh, be, because because at this point, because at this point also then. Even though it's a, there's a little bit of of overhead when you're first introducing it, everybody working cooperatively can really help make sense of it. And you can say, "Hey, have you ever played Clue? It's like a really fun version of Clue that <laughs> that doesn't get stale after you've after you've played it more than more than a few times." Yeah. And and yeah, it's it's such a such an interesting experience. It's it's hard to get tired of Mysterium, especially if I mean they just have expansions that are more dream cards. So yeah. then so then even if even if you're getting a little little tired of the stuff in the base game then you can toss in even more and it gets more interesting so and then the other one i i thought about yeah i thought about like maybe putting in something like the only other like truly midway game that i might have put in here might have been wingspan because Mm. because it's another one that that has a that at this at this time has so much so much publicity is so well known. A lot of people will say, "Oh yeah, I've heard of that. It looks nice," even if they know nothing about games. If right. you're just interested in birds, if you like pretty illustrations, then if if I if I'm with a group that that is like that is really willing to say, "Okay, what's the next thing?" Then I might say, "Okay, let's bring in let's bring in Wingspan to 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 play around with some birds for a while." And and another thing where you can't you can't destroy what other people are doing. There's right. a lot of positive player interaction. The only negative thing is when somebody takes the bird that you really, really want, but can't uh-huh. blame him for that. So that was the that was the only other that was 
the heaviest game on 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 my list as an honorable mention because it's, well, it's just so good that's a great segue into my number one pick because i actually did go hey! with Hades for it. <laughs> um for some of the reasons that we've talked about today i know i don't often pick some of our games for this list but i actually think it's pretty good to build to a game like wingspan it's mm-hmm. medium weight there's a lot of replayability in the game due to the cards and like you said it's pretty widespreadly known at this point and so people have either heard of it Many people have either heard of it or they probably should hear about it because, again, it's one of those games that's on so many shelves that if they go to someone's house, they have, they can speak this common language of Wingspan now if they know how to play. The other reason I picked it is I think Wingspan's action system, it's, I love streamlined action systems where, you know, there's there's just a few things that you need to know to start taking turns in Wingspan. You need to know how these basic actions work, either mm-hmm. lay eggs, draw some cards, or gain some food. Not that complex. Or you play a bird um mm-hmm. so i think even that i i think uh I, like my next if we had even another level i might have gone up to well we, we would need a couple more, le- more levels but i might have built up to a game like arc nova that has a very streamlined action system very complex beyond that but mm-hmm. i really like these games where the action system is very simple but it leads to a lot of complexity in terms of the birds that you choose the engine that you build in the game so yeah i i, I picked wingsman for it my runners up for this were i mentioned worker placement um that's one uh, like common language that i think is helpful for someone to know i picked mm-hmm. lords of waterdeep because i think that's probably mm. one of the simpler worker placement games that you could play um and then i picked space base as my other uh pick here space base is another game similar to some that you mentioned where everyone mm. is doing something on every turn you're engaged in every turn and uh it's kind of the level the level up to Catan, i think space okay. base. And that one player is rolling two dice and all players are generally activating something based on on what those the results of those dice um and it's uh, both of these games all these games are, are pretty easy to guide players through their turns if they're if they're trying to catch on to how the game works so yeah wingspan and then lords of Waterdeep and space space as alternatives yeah yeah those are unfortunately i've only of those three i've only played wingspan i've been wanting to play lords of Waterdeep for a while but uh i nobody i know owns a copy so <laughs> that's a little limiting so um yeah. i i think so one of my friends might be might be getting that soon so hopefully i can experience that for myself and i've heard about space space but yeah never never played it either so so yeah yeah that's those are yeah, those are excellent, excellent choices. And yeah, again, you're you're thinking along lines of okay, what's another category? Worker placement. It's a yeah, yeah, which is I know I know it's one of one of your favorites. It's incorporated in all of your games. And I started in, enjoying playing worker placement before I even knew what it was. And then yeah. I discovered I discovered later on after like five or six games in, oh, this is what these are called. Uh-huh. These are delightful. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's one of the nice things with all with both of our lists. Um, after someone would would play through my five games or your five games or a mix of them, then probably have some sort of an idea of the types of games they want to continue to play. They mm. might want to continue to play worker placement games. They might want to play more drafting games. And then there's whole other offshoots. We could do another a top ten for each of these categories yeah. for someone to say, uh, "I like this one thing that you introduced me to. Show me more games like that. I want to discover mm-hmm. them." Or just spend a while going deep into one game. That's what I did when I got into the, the hobby as an adult. I played a lot of Catan mm. for a while, and then we got into Agricola, and we played. That's all we played for years. We just played that. <laughs> um, so I think that's that's a a good thing for for me to remember when I'm introducing someone to the hobby that they might just want to play that same game a lot, and that's okay. That's okay for, mm. for them to do that. 
Yeah, I think that that was one of my biggest my biggest challenges personally when when trying to introduce people is saying, okay, I know I really like these games, mm-hmm. but they might not really like them. So yeah. I, I nearly totally sabotaged um, my my wife's interest in modern board games a long time ago because I was so excited about Scythe. Uh, <laughs> it was a uh-huh. very, very poor mistake. And I've learned, <laughs> I've learned a lot since then because it's like, okay, she might like this game one day, but right. it's way too much. It's way too much. It's such yeah. a good game, but it's way too much. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, the yeah the it, there's been some growing pains on my end, which is part of why I was thinking so much about this. Like, okay, how can I make sure that I won't destroy the chances of of somebody to actually at least appreciate, if not get into the hobby? Right. Well, I think that's a great thing to keep in mind. We've created these lists here, but which we think in general could be a good way to introduce someone into the hobby, but in the end, it's it's us putting ourselves in someone else's shoes and figuring out what ex- what might excite them, what might engage mm-hmm. them, uh, whether it's a theme that they're interested in or a theme they're definitely not interested in or uh, whatever type of mechanism. If we see, if I started out with cooperative games and I noticed that that person really, really liked that idea of cooperation, I might scratch the rest of this list and go just kind of level yeah. up on cooperative games. So really paying attention to them, what they're interested in, what, what, they're, what they're enjoying, I think is really important when you're trying to help someone uh, get into the hobby. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I certainly agree. Ray, this has been awesome. I love this list. I love things that welcome people into the hobby, help people get deeper into the hobby. So thank you so much for coming up with this idea and spending your time coming up the list and talking about it. I really appreciate that. And I'd love to hear from anyone watching this as well. If you have a, a, a five-point list here, a five-step list to get someone into the hobby or anything that you think about as you're trying to introduce someone into modern hobby games, I'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments below. Right. Yeah, right. thank, thank you, you so much for having thank you so yeah. much for having me, Jamie. This was a lot of fun. And yeah, I look forward to seeing what other people might comment because I'm always look always looking for ways to bring to bring other people in. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm curious to see what people say. Yeah. Thank you, Ray. Take care. Yeah, you too.